Hello and welcome to this edition of Wineskins. I'm Father Jim Corda. Wineskins is a program that features reflections on the lives of the saints and the sacred scriptures, along with a variety of issues and topics, all from a Catholic perspective. Wineskins is brought to you through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our program today, I will interview Father David Rhodes. We will also hear more information on St. Miguel Augustine Pro. And today, as the Church celebrates a 33rd Sunday in Ordinary Time, we will get a deeper insight into those particular Sunday readings. That and more on Wineskins. Catholic Charities is an important part of the life of the Church and her members. To share with us an important issue is Jennifer Lucarelli. With me is Jennifer Lucarelli, who is the Project Manager for Catholic Charities. Welcome to Wineskins. Thank you, Father. You know, Jennifer, every time you're here, you do enlighten us about some of the wonderful programs and opportunities provided through our Catholic Charities here at the Diocese. And since we're on the heels of Thanksgiving, a time of giving thanks to God for our many blessings. One of the areas that you work with is called Season of Giving. Our Season of Giving is a multifaceted program that spans the entire month of November and December. We offer a lot of opportunities for people to provide time, talent, and treasure, whether they're looking for a volunteer opportunity, they want to make a donation of their time or financial donation to support community members and clients in need of those services. So we have a little bit of something for everybody for the entire season of giving. And we know that the bishop also is involved in that aspect of it. Talk briefly about that. Uh, So we brought the bishop in last year as sort of a test event. We did a breakfast with the bishop, and it was so successful that he asked us to replicate the same event on the same day again this year in another location. So not only will we have our breakfast with the bishop on Tuesday, November 28th, which is Giving Tuesday, we're also going to have a social hour event with the bishop in Stark County on the same day in the afternoon. And if people would like more information on how they could attend either of those events, who do they go to? Where do they find that? The best thing to do is start with our website, ccdoy.org, easy to find. There are at least five or six different opportunities with information for each opportunity on the website. And we know that as a project manager, you have a lot on your plate because it's those projects that really not only enlighten people on the work of charities, but also that aspect of raising the necessary funds to keep those services and ministries alive and provided for. Why is it important for us as a church to be involved in charities? It's just important that we serve the community. Being a part of Catholic Charities means living a life of service, and it's up to us at this level to try to provide ways for people to do that. A lot of people want to be able to give their time and talent and treasures and don't know where to start, so we try to provide as many opportunities for engagement, education, and involvement that we can across all six counties of the diocese. I know that you don't do it all by yourself, even though you're one of the major players, but there's a lot of people that are really involved in the work of charities, and especially volunteers. Let's talk about them for a moment. 
Absolutely. We could not do what we do without the help of a lot of our volunteers. And we have volunteer opportunities throughout the year, but especially around the holiday season for our client side facing agencies, as far as like food distribution days or gift distribution days, we can't do any of that without the volunteers, hundreds of hours of volunteer services. So I just want to say thank you to all of them for their time, talent, and treasures. And for the folks that are with us, if they would like to participate in this season of giving, what can they look forward to? And again, where do they go? I would suggest starting with the website, ccdoy.org. There's a lot of opportunities. There's a couple of live events to get involved with. There's ticket sales, tickets available now. In addition to that, on Giving Tuesday, which is November 28th, there's a 24-hour, one-day-only online fundraising opportunity that people can get involved with. They can also find us on social media. We'll keep everybody up to date throughout the entire season of giving on the different aspects and things they can get involved with. And let's give kind of a shout-out to our social media outlets and where they could find those, because I know I follow Catholic Charities on a couple different venues. Where can they find that? Yeah, absolutely. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, and LinkedIn. So those are the ones that we see the most. Jennifer Lucarelli, thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate your presence here on Wineskins. As always, you provide some information that helps us understand better the work of charities. And we certainly give a shout out to those events that are coming up in the next few weeks and also next month. So thank you. Thank you, Father. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. St. Miguel Augustine Pro was a martyr from Mexico. To tell us more is Elena Chepke. She is from St. Joseph Church in Austintown. This Jesuit martyr gave his life for Christ during the persecution of the church in Mexico that began in 1910. He died before a firing squad in 1927, and in 1930, the cause for his beatification was introduced in Rome. Born in Guadalupe, Mexico, Miguel entered the Jesuit novitiate in 1911. By 1914, the revolution had become so intense that all the young Jesuits dispersed. They traveled to Laredo, Texas, to California, and then by way of Nicaragua and Spain to Belgium. There Miguel completed his studies and was ordained a priest in 1925. All those years he suffered from a severe stomach ailment and his superiors ultimately sent him back to Mexico. Within a month after his arrival in Mexico City, the government banned all public worship. For several years, Father Pro ministered to the people incognito, but eventually an order was issued for his arrest and he had to go into hiding. In November 1927, a bomb was thrown at the car of the president from an automobile that had previously belonged to a brother of Father Pro. As a result, the three Pro brothers were arrested and condemned to death. The youngest brother received a pardon at the last moment and was exiled to the United States. Father Pro faced the firing squads with arms outstretched and at the last moment said in a clear voice, Viva Cristo Rey, which translates, Long live Christ the King. In the opening prayer of the Mass, we say that God the Father gave Father Pro 
the grace to seek ardently your greater glory and the salvation of your people. First of all, we note that the phrase, your greater glory, is a succinct expression of the motto of the Society of Jesus. For the greater glory of God, Father Pro had previously offered his life to God for the Mexican people, and by his martyrdom, he glorified God. The blood of the martyrs is precious in the sight of God. The thousands of people that passed by the casket of the martyr were well aware that he had given his life for them. The president at the time had forbidden any public funeral, but the people defied his order. When one of Father Pro's sisters was overcome with emotion at the wake and began to weep hysterically, her father said to her, is that the way you act in the presence of a saint? He well understood the words of Christ, greater love than this no man has but to lay down his life. The death of a martyr for Christ is always relevant because in every age there are persecutions of the church. The lesson we learn from the selfless dedication of Father Pro to his priestly ministry in the midst of great personal danger is expressed in the petition of the opening prayer. May we serve you and glorify you by performing our daily duties with fidelity and joy. The entire opening prayer reads, God our Father, you gave your servant Miguel Augustin Pro the grace to seek ardently your greater glory and the salvation of your people. Grant that, through his intercession and following his example, we may serve you and glorify you by performing our daily duties with fidelity and joy and effectively helping our neighbor. For Wineskins, I'm Elena Chepke. With me again is Father David Rhodes, who is Pastor Emeritus of St. Christine Church in Youngstown. Welcome back to Wineskins. Thank you. You know, the last time you were here with us, Father Rhodes, we had an opportunity to talk about and celebrate the 80th anniversary of the Diocese of Youngstown. We know that in 1943, Pope Pius XII designated Youngstown as a diocese. What did that mean back then that this new diocese was created. What's a diocese? Well, a diocese, of course, comes from the government of the Roman Empire. I'm speaking now of the Latin Church, the Roman Catholic Church, not the Eastern Church. But I think what we need to appreciate is that it was almost 300 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus before the church could operate in the open. For 280 years, roughly, the church was undercover, had to operate undercover. We could not have a formal government of the church. There were no churches. People worshipped in homes and in the catacombs and all those places. Finally, in the year 313, the Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity and with the Edict of Milan declared that Christianity could operate in the open publicly, which it did. And so to set up some sort of government in the church and how it would operate, they simply borrowed terms from the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And the word diocese was a Greek word meaning administration. If you look at a map of the Roman Empire around the year 400, you'll see districts called dioceses that were part of the empire, somewhat like we would have counties that are part of a state. So that's the model that the church used when it 
could finally operate in the open and adopting that practice of dividing the church into districts called dioceses. And then eventually, of course, after that, regional dioceses of a region were organized into what we call metropolitan provinces. We still have that model today. In Ohio, we have six dioceses, each under the care and pastoral leadership of a bishop, but they're organized into a province, call it the Metropolitan Province of Cincinnati, Cincinnati being what we call the archdiocese because it's the oldest of the six dioceses, and that's the model that is still used all these years later. Now, some people may not fully remember or understand the fact that there are many dioceses that have been created over the centuries, the, the millennia of the church. Why has some of those been ceased to exist. Talk about that. Well, that's very interesting because, yes, the very first diocese in the United States, for example, was Baltimore in 1793. It was also New Orleans, but that was still France. That was prior to the Louisiana Purchase, but it was only Baltimore. And then in 1808, four dioceses were established, one being Boston, then New York, then Philadelphia, and the fourth one, interesting, was Bardstown, Kentucky. Well, it no longer exists because Bardstown, as we all know, is close to Louisville and just never took off as a big city. Louisville did. And so Louisville, Kentucky is now the archdiocese. Bardstown ceases to exist. And that's in our own country. And that, of course, went on, has gone on all over the world for the last 2,000 years. Dioceses that once existed no longer are there, but uh, they remain in name only. And of course, we know that once a bishop is ordained for a diocese, whether it's active or not, for example, the auxiliary bishop also has a diocese that he has jurisdiction over. Explain that. Well, the auxiliary bishop, he is not the ordinary. He is not the chief pastor of any diocese. So in keeping with the practice, he is designated bishop of some defunct diocese some dioceses that uh, no longer exist. For somebody, I suppose, is a titular. They're called titular bishops. He is probably the titular bishop of Bardstown. I don't know who he is now, but he's somewhere he's out there, and it's in name only. We know, obviously, that the church is, for better or worse, an institution, and there's certain hierarchical structures that we abide by. We know that the pope is really the supreme head of the church. Talk about his role. As I said, each diocese pastor is the local bishop. One bishop does not have authority over another bishop. The archbishop, for example, Cincinnati, while he has this honorary position as the archbishop and installs and ordains new bishops, as he did Bishop Bonner, he does not have authority over the dioceses that are in his metropolitan province. The Holy Father, the Pope, as the Bishop of Rome, is the great unifier. I like to think of him as the great unifier. He's the one who holds the College of Bishops together and is the symbol of our unity. In that sense, he's the first among equals in a way. He has the authority of leadership in the universal church, of course, according to the law of the church, but with the respect of each individual bishop charge of a diocese. Of course, people are more familiar with the fact that they belong to a parish, and that is part of what makes up a diocese. Talk about the life of a parish. 
the main goal of the parish is to be in union with the local bishop and to advance the worship of the church, the threefold mission of the church, to teach and preach, to worship, to promote the sacraments of the church and the worship of the church, and the service, service of charity. Uh, those three become the main goal of every parish, to be a community of people who are engaged in the worship of God, celebrating their life in Jesus Christ, preaching and proclaiming that mission through evangelization and through teaching, and then acting it out in service of charity and love toward others. Well, Father David Rhodes, Pastor Emeritus of St. Christine in Youngstown, thank you so much for being on Wineskins again and for enlightening us about some pertinent facts that are really relatable for us as Catholics, everyday Catholics, living in the Diocese of Youngstown, living in our own parishes, building up the local church, and consequently, the kingdom of God. So thank you for your presence. You're welcome. Thank you. For more pertinent information and to listen to Wineskins, visit www.catholicecho.org. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. 33 million Americans have descended into poverty. And as their futures fall, so does our nations. Our song today is from the CD called Table of Plenty. It is by John Michael Talbot.
As we celebrate this 33rd Sunday in Ordinary Time, we will hear more about the Sacred Scriptures by Deacon Kevin Bertleff. The answer for our fears is fear. The answer for our fears is fear. One of my favorite movies as a child was Home Alone, probably because I shared a name with the main character, Kevin. And there's a scene where Kevin is scared of the world. He's home alone, and he's scared of his neighbor. And he's hiding under his parents' bed. And he says to himself, this is ridiculous. Only a wimp would be hiding under a bed. And I can't be a wimp. I'm the man of the house. And so he goes outside, and he screams at the top of his lungs, hey, I'm not afraid anymore. I said, I'm not afraid anymore. Do you hear me? I'm not afraid anymore. And his neighbor shows up with the snow shovel. And of course, Kevin screams the whole way back into the house and up the stairs and back in hiding under his parents' bed. Fear. I'm guessing we have all been afraid of something or someone, hopefully not our neighbor carrying a snow shovel. There are many kinds of fears. Fear of spiders, fear of snakes, fear of heights, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of public speaking, fear of change, fear of loneliness, fear of uncertainty. The list goes on and on. What are your fears? In our gospel today, the one servant who digs a hole and buries his master's money does so out of fear. He was afraid of taking a risk. Perhaps he was a bit lazy. Perhaps he also struggled with a lack of faith. Perhaps he was afraid of losing the money or failing to meet the master's expectations. Ultimately, his fear paralyzed him, held him in place, and kept him from doing anything. The remedy for our fears is fear, that is, a holy fear of the Lord, which our psalm reminds us of today. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. The psalmist knew that a holy fear of the Lord a recognizing that God was with us in our troubles and fears was the answer for any of his fears. We hear this expression, fear of the Lord, quite often in Scripture, and it should not be misunderstood. It does not mean we serve God because we fear punishment. Our relationship with God is rooted in love, not fear of punishment. Fear of the Lord means having a deep reverence and awe for the majesty of God, 
It is our proper due respect and awe for our Creator. Pope Francis describes fear of the Lord as our abandonment into the goodness of the Father who loves us so. Our abandonment into the goodness of our Father who loves us so. Jesus often reminds his disciples and us too that we need not be afraid. When we abandon ourselves into the goodness of the Father who loves us so, what have we to fear? A great example for us when we might feel afraid is Mary, our mother. She too had moments of being afraid. She was afraid when the angel Gabriel came to her and announced that she would bear Jesus in her womb. She questioned, how could it be? But, trusting in the one who invites us beyond our fears, she surrendered to the Lord. May it be done unto me according to your word. Mary is our model for holy fear of the Lord, in her reverence, in her humility, and willingness in her yes to God. Perhaps we should walk out to the world and proclaim as Kevin did in Home Alone, Do you hear me? I'm not afraid anymore. Not afraid to acknowledge Christ before others, to proclaim his kingdom, and to share his selfless love. May we run to Mary, our mother, seeking her intercession, asking that we too may have that same holy fear of the Lord as she did, trusting that it is the love of God that drives out all fear. So, what are you afraid of? If we abandon ourselves into the goodness of the Father who loves us so, then of whom should we be afraid? For Wineskins, I'm Deacon Kevin Burleff. Don't bury your life in the ground. This world is hurting for something that you may be able to share. If you have the gift of love or honesty or justice or the capacity for any virtue, dig it up, dust it off, and put it to work. Don't worry about the results. Let's just use what God has given us. And perhaps someday we will hear, well done. You are industrious and reliable. Come share my joy. Wineskins is a production of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. It is brought to you by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. I'm your host, Father Jim Corda, wishing you a beautiful week. And we of Wineskins want to express our sincere blessings to all of you as you celebrate Thanksgiving Day. What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought uh, I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today, because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.